Hey, you're listening to the Upper Room Podcast. To learn more about Upper Room, please visit URDallas.com. So I, I have um, a message on my heart, and I need to share it with you. I want to talk to you about the fear of the Lord. Uh, I know Michael's covered... Um, Prayer. The last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the the sort of model that we have here at Upper Room, which I, I don't really love that word, but it it's useful for what we're talking about. Um, it's just the way that we learn to engage the Holy Spirit, follow His leadership when we're praying together corporately. If you're new and you don't know, we are this service is awesome, but who we really are is who we are all week long. We have a house of prayer here. We pray. We have what we did today. That's a great sampling of what we want to do in our prayer sets during the week. There's a live worship and we're like, we're just following the Lord's leadership and he will highlight an aspect of himself or what he wants to do um, in that time. And we follow him and he moves and we say, thank you. Yes, so that's a good sampling of what, um, of what we do. So if you don't know, come check that out. That's really the heartbeat of who we are. This is kind of just the, the icing on the cake, the overflow, the fruit of what we do all week long. Um, I'm, Joasim, can you move this back for me? I just feel like I need to see these guys a little bit more. <clears throat> So one of the, the fear of the Lord, I want to talk about um, on the tail end of our discussion about prayer, because one of the key things, and we're going to unpack this, but one of the key things that, like the hallmarks of, of a person that's been anointed with the spirit of the fear of the Lord is that they, when they approach the Lord, they, they approach the Lord as a listener, I, uh, <laughs> I've been reading, um, I've been reading Job, <laughs> who, um, and it, it was hard for me to get through. It's like, I don't know anyone who just loves that book, but, but I've been really asking the Lord, Lord, I just need to see you in this. I need to see you. I need to know you in this. And at the end, after Job's been, and his friends, there's just these long dialogues that are just, ugh. Anyway, at the end, right before the Lord restores Job double, everything that's been taken from him, the Lord addresses him. And all Job can say is, I'm sorry, I opened my mouth. Which is probably going to be our response if, if when we see the Lord, if we've ever said anything besides, thank you, you're worthy. It's like anything else is bleh. What was I thinking, saying anything to you besides that? Um, so as I've been meditating on it, there are, there are revelations that have been kind of unfolded by the Lord throughout history in the church. Like, like, it, like now it's, it's widely accepted that we come to the Lord by faith, right? Not by works. But that used to not be a widely accepted revelation. And I, I think sometimes we, 
we, we want to we emphasize, oh, he's the lion. Oh, he's the lamb. Or we think we have to build attention somewhere in between the two. He's somewhere between the lion and the lamb. Or, oh, we swung way too far over to the lamb, so we need to swing back over to the lion. And they're not mutually exclusive. And so we are, are limited in our thinking, and so we see just this, this singular or two-dimensional way that he is, and he's saying, no, 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 I am completely the lion, and I am completely the lamb. I am fully savior, I am fully Lord, and I am fully king, bridegroom, judge, the whole thing all of the time, the fullness of it. It's not like he, depending on where you are, what you're doing, he... he he changes his, who he is. No, he is all of that all the time. But sometimes when something hasn't been talked about or hasn't been um, received to this degree, we need, to, we need to highlight it more. And that's what I feel the Lord is doing in, in our body specifically, but even in Christian culture right now. It's, it's the fear of the Lord. It's him as Lord. Because we got a really good grip on him as savior. And that's easy, right? When you come into where it's just easy to come to him. You're savior. Oh, you're redeemer. But him as Lord, it, it, some of us have a harder time with that. Because it requires a submission of our will. So I want to open up with a scripture that describes him. It's a messianic prophecy in the book of Isaiah. So turn your Bibles to Isaiah. And I'm going to pray. I feel a little bit. I think I'm really excited. And I feel a little scattered in my excitement. So I'm going to pray. Will you pray with me? Lord, we want you. We want to know you. We want to see you as you really are. We invite you, spirit of truth, tear down every image we have of you that's not right, that's not who you are. We invite you, we welcome you. We ask you to impart the spirit of the fear of the Lord to us today. Would you give us ears to hear? Would you remove distractions? We thank you for it, God, in Jesus' name. So in the book of Isaiah, if you have your real Bible, like your, this one, that'd be awesome. <clears throat> I'm not saying your phone's not a real Bible, but I just like the real thing. So Isaiah chapter 11, this is a messianic prophecy about Jesus. There are seven spirits that are before the throne in the book of Revelation. And when Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit, when he was baptized and the Holy Spirit rested upon him, all of these expressions of the Spirit of God rested upon him. So hear these. You guys with me? All right. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. 
and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Now I want you to just take a minute. I want you to think back to Genesis chapter one. When the, when the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep and he spoke creation into existence piece by piece. He spoke it into existence. Who was there when he did that? The spirit was there. The father was there. Who else was there? Jesus. Jesus was the word that he spoke that created all of that. He's there. I could show you biblically, but he's there. Now, this is the same one that, that chose when the father said, hey, hey, it's time for you to, yeah. He chose to become flesh. The same one that when the father went into the dust and a, a human, he formed a man. <laughs> the one that, that was a part of that creative process chose to actually become that same dust that he created. That one. I could stop there. We could be done for the day. That one became the thing that he created. And that one, it says that he was anointed with the fear, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, and his, his delight was in the fear of the Lord. Now, we need to rearrange the way we think about the fear of the Lord because Jesus, did, Jesus was perfect. Am I right? He's perfect. He has nothing to be afraid of. Right? He, he has, he has nothing. The, even in the old covenant, he has nothing to be afraid of. But yet he, God himself, like the God man, he delighted in the fear of the Lord. So you and I have something to learn. If he, if the God man, Jesus, delighted in the spirit of the fear of the Lord, I feel like we could grow. <laughs> Amen. He had already seen, he's been there. He is there now. But, but at this point when he was walking, he had seen all, everything going on there. All of the living creatures and the angels and the myriads and the elders. He's seen it all. All the flashes, the thunderings, the like, the light's so bright, there's no need for a sun, the rumblings, the rainbow, the sea of glass. The, he's, he's been there. He's seen it. And there's something inside of him that delighted in the fear of the Lord. And I sense this invitation for us to respond to. Would you choose the fear of the Lord? It says in Proverbs, I've been thinking, like, 
okay, Lord, how do we, how do we, what do, what do I do about this? You know, he, he unfolds these things and you're going, well, what, what am I supposed to do with this knowledge, this revelation, this insight? And in Proverbs, it talks about a group of people that didn't choose the fear of the Lord. So there's an aspect of my will and my choice involved here. So I want to unpack what does it look like? What did it look like in Jesus? And what does it look like to fear the Lord? The first thing I see is that Jesus had no sense of entitlement. He had, he, he's God himself. But according to Philippians 2, let's go there. Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians. Here we go. According to Philippians 2, look at verse, verse 3. Do nothing, say nothing, from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind. What kind of mind? The kind of mind that considers others better than yourself. This mind of humility. Have this mind. You and I, he's talking to us. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Meaning Jesus had a mind that considered Others better than himself. So if we're going to have the mind of Christ, that will be a hallmark. Let me keep going. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I, I cannot read this and stay the same. Every time I read it, I'm on his humility. He had no, he's God. It says him, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. And you and I having this mind, who is he? He had no sense of entitlement. He, obedient to the point of death, he became a servant. This is why we worship him. This is why what he said, he's the only one. It's beyond, he's otherly. He's beyond, we cannot fathom what he left, what he saw, what he was aware of, and what he chose for our sake. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So you and I having this mind, I feel like I need to remind us, like, if we're Christians, then we're disciples and we're to look like him. <laughs> so having this mind where you consider others better than yourself. 
He had no entitlement. He was full of humility. God. Can you imagine what it was like? Can you imagine what it was like to wash the feet that you created? The dirty feet, knowing what was in their hearts. Can you imagine washing Judas's feet? We would never do that, you and I. (laughs) Why did he do it? I think the most poignant expression of him having the fear of the Lord is when he was in the garden. When he goes to the garden and he prays, he prays three times. Three times he prayed. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. What does that mean? It means he didn't want to. It means his flesh was like, I don't want to do this. (laughs) That's my niece. Is she cute? It means he didn't want to. If you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will. Yet, not my will. Yet, not my will. And I just want to challenge us today. Have we forgotten that heart that says yet? Not my will. Does he want to know all your desires? Yes. Does he want you to be wide open with who you are, where you are, what you feel, what you want? Yes. But at the end of the day, he's Lord where you say, yet not my will. Yet not my will. And I feel like there are many of us, not just in this room, not just in the overflow room, but in in like the church at large that are just, we're just, torn up and we're suffering and we're so frustrated because of this one thing. Because our will doesn't, hasn't submitted. See, he's savior, he's redeemer. Oh, oh, I want you to, Lord, take, take control over my body and heal me. Have your way and heal me. Have your way in my finances and bless me. But Where's that peace? Yet not my will. I want him to invade. I want him to invade every part. But he, he, he's chosen to set it up where we say, yet not my will. Where we express our desires, we express what we want, and yet we submit. It's not a, See, it's this relate that relational piece. It's not robotic. It's not, it's not a it's this, he's given us so much honor and respect that he allows us to choose to submit our wills. And I want to invite you, I want to provoke you, I want to challenge you. Where does your will need to submit to his lordship? There's not, he told me this morning in worship, he said, I am, I am erasing the lines of the secular and the sacred in people's lives. When you get up in the morning, you are walking with the Lord. You know what it said about, it says about Enoch and it says about Noah, it says that they, they, they were pleasing to him because they walked with him. He wants your walking. He wants your walking in your sleep, in your waking. He wants your will in every single part of your day. 
in your thought life. And when you, ladies, when you're in your closet and you're trying to decide what to wear, he wants it. He wants it. He wants it in your kitchen. He wants it in your car. He wants it in your taste in music. He wants your will and everything. Why? Because he's Lord, because he loves you, because he's good, because he's kind, and because he wants you free. And if you don't know it, you may not see it. You may not get it. You may not appreciate it. You may not know it. But if he's saying it, it's because he wants you free. Your idea of freedom is so much lesser than his. And there's just so many things we believe here about the gospel, about the kingdom that we want. We want healing. We want, like, we want thousands to be added to our number. But yet, like, the idea of, of like, an Ananias and Sapphira being struck dead because they lied to the spirit of God. Well, we don't want that. right like we don't want it's just it's the fullness it's the fullness it's the complete it's the lion and the lamb it's the fullness of his expression I want to show you what the what the early church ah fired up look at Acts chapter 9 Acts chapter 9, verse 31. This is the church. We think about the church when we, when we think about the book of Acts. We're like, oh, the glory days. When like thousands were coming to the Lord and people were getting healed with handkerchiefs and shadows. And they had everything in common. There was a need among them. And, and, but you know what? The world was terrified. Like people were afraid to join them because of the level of holiness and glory going on. There was a weight. Look what it says in Acts chapter 9 verse verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Look at this. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. You see, if you have the first, you are going to need the second. We need the full expression. I was somewhere recently in a, in a kid's like play area and there was something on the wall. It said, um, it said, God... God is your best friend or God wants to be your best friend. And I love that. He is my best friend. He, I, he's my most intimate friend. He loves me like no other. He sees every flaw in me and still adores me. He's my best friend. But he's my Lord all at the same time. And I want my kids to grow up with that reality that, that like at the, at, when you don't feel like being his friend or you don't feel his friendship near that you'll still submit to his lordship. He's Lord. He's the only one. Like he said, there is only one man in, in, in all of history and all that's to come that could ever pay for what he paid for. 
And so he gets to be Lord. Whether I understand, appreciate, or agree, he gets to be Lord. Could I tell you it's for your good, it's for your freedom, it's going to work out? Yeah. But you know what? It could also be that you get your head cut off. So I don't know. It's just a yes. He's Lord. I want to prepare us for that. I'd, I'd, that's, that's, that's somewhere down in the future. It may not be you and me. It might be our children. It might be our grand. But it's coming. It's already happening. Now I'm sweating. He needs, in, in heaven, he's, there's a circular throne. He's in the middle of it. And this is a picture of our lives. He's in the center of your life. And he gets to dictate every single piece of it. There's not one part. When people have a real revelation of Jesus, biblically, over and over again, it provokes, it evokes fear, terror. I can think, Michael helped me last night. I can think of a couple times where it wasn't that way. Like he appeared as a gardener to Mary. So kind. Of course, she was the one that sat at his feet. So maybe there's something to learn there. But I want to show you these, a couple of, a couple of scenarios. Turn to Matthew chapter 17. This is the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is, he knows he's going up to, to have this encounter, he takes Peter, James, and John, and they go up this mountain. Look at chapter 17, verse 2. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, I love this quote. Isn't this just how we are? Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. <laughs> Let me just tell you how this should go, Jesus. Verse five, he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were, they were what? They were terrified. See, they'd been walking with him, and he was a man like them. But then their eyes were open in this moment. They hear the voice of the Father, and they're like, oh, this is, oh, oh. They're terrified. And I see this over and over again. Look what Jesus does, verse seven. But Jesus came and he touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. This happens to John in the book of Revelation. John was the one that always had his head on Jesus' breast. He's like, he, he, he's, 
at least he thinks he's the closest. He's like the favorite. But in the book of Revelation, when he sees the resurrected, glorified Jesus, he falls on his face as though dead. And you know what Jesus had to do? He had to touch him. And he said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the alpha and the omega. See, when you have, a, when you have a, an encounter with the glorified Jesus, it will strike terror in you that will require him to touch you and assuage your fear. That's how unimaginable he is. That's what it will require. He's got to go, it's, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. It happens to Daniel. Daniel had a vision of the Lord. He had a vision of Jesus. That's just mind-blowing. Same description as John describes. Thousands of years prior, or hundreds, I don't know. Same thing. He's like, I fell down as dead. He says, he says, there's no strength left in me. But the Lord came and touched him and said, don't be afraid. See, we need him to say that to us when we actually see him. I, uh, I really want... I really want the Lord to impart this to us. I can't, it's just only so much that me yapping in front of you is gonna do. It's something that he, he imparts as we choose it, as we seek it, as we ask for it. He imparts it. It says in Proverbs, if you search for it like silver and like hidden treasure. What does that tell me? It tells me that it's there somewhere. And if I, if I told you right now that there was a thousand bucks hidden in this room, how many of you would stop looking after five minutes? Not many. Right? I'm like, I'm looking until I find it. I could use a thousand bucks. So if we're to search for the fear of the Lord, if we're to ask for it like that, then one, I know there's a promise of finding it. But he, the way he's set it up in his infinite wisdom is for us, he's, he doesn't just throw it out like candy at a parade. He's like, do you want it? Do you want it? I want to know. Tell me what you want. Like with Solomon. Tell me what you want. And I had an experience with this. And this is like a, this is a pearl to me. So I haven't shared it very much. I think maybe before last night, just a couple people. Uh, when we were, we have a global conference every year. And we had a last May. How many of you went? <clears throat> it was awesome. It was at Christ for the Nations in South Dallas. And um, 
it was during this conference that I had this experience, but I, I kind of need to paint where my heart was so you can understand. I've been in church my whole life. I, my dad's a preacher. I've been in church my entire life. And sometime in my adolescent years or my teen years, I just begin to have hunger for something really real. And I felt as if, I felt as if the stories that I've been told all my life and the things that I read, they, they, they weren't, they didn't line up with what I saw in church world. Can you relate? You know what I'm talking about, right? I started to just hunger for something real. And in that hunger, uh, one of the things that I've, and I've cultivated that hunger, but one of the things I've noticed in our, in our kind of stream is, oh, and I didn't grow up in this stream, but there's this, there's this thing that can get very twisted and unhealthy with this like celebrity, Christianity, man of God, where we start to worship the minister or the worship leader or the band or the, and <clears throat> I don't think any of us wants that. Most of all the people doing the thing, I don't think most of them want that. I don't believe that, but I can, I have to really check my heart in that place because I could get really jaded and cynical. I just have no, I used to be, I used to fangirl <laughs> people until I got up close and then sometimes people fangirl me and then I realize, oh my gosh, this is just, ah. Like, because I know me, you know, I wake up with me, like I know who I am. And so I know how uh, unexciting that is, like how come up short that can be. And um, it was during the conference that I started really wrestling with a very, I was, there was a cynical, jaded thing coming up in my heart. And... Um, I was really wrestling, and it got really, really loud uh, the second to last day or the last sometime around the end. And it was just so loud in my head. And all I wanted to do was just, I had I had taken my kids home and gotten settled, and I was headed back up to the conference, and all I wanted to do was not go because I was wrestling so much in my spirit. I was judging people. I was just, I was just in a... It was not good. And as I'm driving, I'm thinking, I can't go into that room in the state that I'm in. Like, I can't. <laughs> I can't, like, authentically worship in the place that I'm in. I can't, like, shake hands with people. What am I? I need help. And so I'm driving, and I just started crying out to the Lord. I was like, God, you, I need you to do something. I need you to shift me. I need you to... I started repenting for being judgmental. I just started begging him to like give me his perspective. Cause all I could, my perspective was just so darn loud and the accuser was so loud. And then I was condemning people and then I was feeling condemned for condemning people. Can you relate? It was just nasty. And I was desperate for God to do something in my heart by the time that I like parked my car and walked in. <clears throat> Cause I swear it was like if I walked in like that, everyone would know. <laughs> Um, so I, I was in a, 
very vulnerable place by the time I walked in, I start worshiping. And something happened to me in worship that I now know is a gift from the Lord, but it didn't feel like a gift when it happened. I started worshiping. And all of a sudden, it was as if I got sucked into a black hole. It was as if, I've never, I've been depressed before, it wasn't like that. It, it was like, I was in a vacuum of darkness where there was no life and there was no sound and there was no substance. There was just this vacuum. And all I could think was this must be what hell is like because there was no sign of life around me. I could like vaguely hear worship around me, but I just was in this black hole and I felt panicked completely panicked, like, I got to get, and there was no, I was, I was crying out to the Lord, there was just nothingness, nothing, it was like I couldn't even hear my own crying out, it was, it was terrifying, and I, while it's going on, I'm reminded of a couple of verses, one's in John chapter one, I want to show it to you. It's right at the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He. (laughs) Who's He? He was in the beginning with God. All things. Say all things. Say all things. I'm not talking about an abstract all things. I'm talking about the clothes on your body, the cells that make up your tongue, the like breath, the oxygen that he, all things were made through him. Through who? Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And I, he gave me the gift of that. There was like a 45 minutes to an hour of being in a place where that light, that's the life of men, was nowhere to be found. The other one is in the book of Colossians, chapter one. You know, you read your Bible sometimes out of discipline, And you never know when the Holy Spirit breathes on it. So keep reading it. Even when you feel nothing, even when it's boring, even when you don't understand, don't give up. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He, who's he? He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, who? By him, all things, say all things. They were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, say all things. They were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. And I was somehow in a place where I knew that he wasn't holding it together. 
You see, right now, this microphone would just dissolve into a puddle of atoms if he weren't right now holding it together. And I, in that place, I was just, I was weeping. I was undone. It wasn't wonderful. It was terrible. But I haven't, I used to struggle for like finding sometimes something to be thankful for. And since that moment, not even close. I mean, thank you. That somehow by your mercy, there's oxygen floating through this air, going into me, coming out. Thank you that somehow gravity is holding me. Do you know, like if he lifted one thing, it would all combust. It would all fall apart. It would all not, we would blow up. We would, we, and it's, the crazy thing is that it's who he said it is. It's the one man, Jesus who became the flesh that he created. How can you not love him when you see that? Not just that he would come, but that then that he would die. And he delighted in the fear of the Lord. He who is the Lord. So every time I think about it, since that day, <clears throat> there's something that's happening in like the pit of my stomach. And ever since that day, the fear of man is just, it's just not, sometimes it knocks, but it's just, it, it used to eat my lunch. And it's not a thing. It's just... This is not a thing. You know, it says in Proverbs that the fear of man is a snare. Oh, man. Oh, oh, it just had me tied down in a million ways. But since that day, we need it. Amen. I can feel it. You want it, don't you? I can feel it. Uh, I want to share this last piece, and then I want us to ask him together. Um, Allie, will you come up and play? Are you... Where are you? I saw you. There you are. Thank you. So yesterday morning, as I was preparing, I was just, you know, if I'm honest, I'm like, are you sure, Lord? Are you sure? This kind of feels, feels can feel heavy. I just needed to know, like, are you sure? And I had been praying. I was praying in tongues. I had my feet up on this ottoman. And, and, I, and somehow in the midst of, I don't know what I was doing, but the, my Bible fell. And I picked it up, 
later, like a, several minutes later, I picked it up and put it on the ottoman, didn't look at it. And then kind of when I was done and I was going to get up and go do whatever, I looked down and my eyes land on one of those bold subtitles in your Bible. And it says, fear God. And it wasn't any of the scriptures I had looked up, not a scripture that I honestly have ever read, not a scripture when I was researching all about the fear of the Lord, wasn't, not even, didn't come up once. And I knew that this was for us. It's for me, but it's for us. And it's from the book of Ecclesiastes. And the thing that really got me is that it's, it's so... It's so direct to our call as a house of prayer, this word. So I want to read it. Stick with me, would you? Ecclesiastes chapter 5. He says, Guard your steps. When you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen. Is better. Than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash. With your mouth. Nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. He goes on, it's, it's wonderful, the rest of it. I'm gonna stop there. I, uh, I can't help but, you know, the, the proverb says, you've heard this before, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And one of the things I've observed over the years is the thing that marks a person of wisdom is they're, they're people of few words. And um, I can't help but think about... Um, I can't help but think about Terry Lindsay and when he, he was on our, our board and we would have board meetings, he, he wouldn't talk. Most of the time he was quiet. But it, when he opened his mouth, wisdom was just like flowing like a river. And I know it's because this marked his life. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God to draw near to listen. It's better. He's in heaven and you are on earth for let your words be few. You know why? Because his words are precious. His words are everything. His words create things. His words have power. And when we, when we come into the place of prayer all week long, 
this is our goal, is to hear what do you say? We worship you because you're perfect, because you're wise, because you're powerful, because you're glorious, because you're beautiful, because you're everything. But now just shh, what are you saying? Because man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I don't know about you, but I just want to learn to shut my mouth a little bit more. I think that one day when we see him, I might regret most of my words except for thank you and you're worthy and I love you. or the ones where I forgave, or the ones where I extended grace, and every other one I'll just, oh, what is that in his presence? 